Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of Misaligned. This week we are going to have some follow-up from our last episode. There was no guest episode because scheduling things does not always work out as planned and we're back on odd-numbered episodes now, so I'm just ruining everything over here. But we're going to quickly follow up with some albums that came out after we released the last episode and then we will dig into our book club discussion for Mainline's Blood Feast and Bad Taste, which was the Lester Bangs collection of articles and stories that he did over the years. But Megan, I know you have enjoyed this first release we have here, and it is Kevin Devine's Instigator. Fantastic yes. release, but I know you are very, very excited about it. So tell oh us Oh my more. gosh. So this is... Getting ahead of myself here, uh, this is going to be one of my recommendations this week. If you haven't listened to Instigator yet, I highly recommend it because it's great. I pre-ordered the record. I have the cream version, and it arrived on Thursday, so I had plenty of time to listen before release date on top of like the whole album stream to get a feel for it on my record player and stuff. One of the things I'm the most happy about with this album other than the fact that it is going to end up in my top 10 this year, is just that there's a full band version of the Freddie Gray Blues on there. He released that song a few months ago. I want to say maybe sometime in the spring, where it was just him and a guitar. And to hear a full band version is just, wow. It's a great song. I don't care where you stand on the Blue Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter all lives matter those stances um it's a song that i think everyone should listen to in this day and age because he doesn't trash on the police it's definitely more along the lines of really good political songwriting and of course then he just goes straight into no history after that song so by feelings that i hope that makes sense Yes. But otherwise, some of the songs on Instigator were recorded for his splits to the Divinal Splits, which I thought was pretty cool that they were on the album. So it's it's good. You should listen to it. I enjoy it. it just because I enjoy something doesn't mean all of you are going to enjoy something. But, you know, it's a good album. Yes, I will definitely second that. And, you know, like you said, there was lots of time to listen to it with the stream that went up and everything. And I reviewed it last week i'm pretty sure it went up on friday maybe thursday i don't know you edited that for me so it was one of those days it did go up on thursday okay and the next release is one that i was going to review last week and just have not gotten around to it because amazon blew up my day on friday and you know this album is part of the reason that happened i ordered jimmy world's integrity blues on vinyl through amazon and it got here and there was a nice slit in the top of it and it was just like one big hole and i was like no no we cannot have this so i had to go through this whole ordeal of getting a replacement one and we are recording this on Monday, so my damaged copy is currently sitting on the porch waiting for UPS to come pick it up, and hopefully they are going to do so. But aside from that little fiasco, this is definitely a really, really great Jimmy World album. I know a lot of people are saying it's one of their best ones in a while, especially with you know Damage as the last big release they did. Yeah. A lot of people didn't really like that. I know... 
a few people liked it. Personally, I thought it was a perfectly fine record. It wasn't, you know, anything mind-blowing, but it was solid. I don't know if I've really ever listened to a Jimmy World record that I didn't like at least a little bit, you know? It's not like I think any of their records are just absolutely horrible and I never want to listen to them. But this one is really, really good. Have you had a chance to listen to it? I have, and I actually have seen a few little just anecdotes on the internet about how people are saying it's just as good as Futures. And I agree. Like, I'm in the camp that Futures is a wonderful Jimmy Eat World album. And that's one of my favorites. And I really, really like Integrity Blues. I got to listen to that for a little this weekend and was just blown away. Yeah. And one of the other releases that I just listened to before we recorded this was American Football's LP2, both of their LPs have been self-titled. Where they're going with that, I do not know, but I'm just going to call this one LP2 for my sake and possibly everyone else's, but it definitely felt a lot different from the first record. And obviously with the huge time period that was in between these two records, that's sort of expected. And, you know, since that first American football record, Mike Kinsella has done so many different things. He has Owen, Pet Symmetry, you know, all of these different things that he's done. And this definitely feels a lot more like an Owen album, which I'm totally okay with. It's just, you know, like a full band version of an Owen record. And I really enjoyed it. I'm obviously going to want to give it a few more listens. It's only nine songs, but it still comes in at close to 40 minutes, I want to say. Is this one you've listened to yet, Megan, or not yet? I have not actually listened to this one yet. But you talking about the whole naming of LPs thing just reminded me that we do have a little news article for today. And that is something, it's a good thing we're recording on Monday. Um, Run the Jewels just announced that RTJ3 will be released sometime in the future. And they have a new song out and it's streaming on NPR. Here I am talking about NPR a lot today. And it is called Talk to Me. So the song Talk to Me is, or not is, was released through the Adult Swim Singles program. And I think it's a good song. So I'm looking forward to RJ3. Or, wow. RTJ3? RTJ3, yeah. Yes. So you can tell that I live in the D.C. region because I will still hear people say RG3, even though he's no longer with the <laughs> Washington team. So I guess that's kind of messing me up there. I'm sorry. I don't even like the Washington team. For anyone who's confused, that is football. <laughs> We're talking about football. Football, of which my actual NFL team is horrible, and I don't even want to talk about it. But I will say that I'm proud of my college team. That was a great upset, and I missed it. Yes, and this is where we hit the Megan Misses All the Sports section. Yes, on Saturday, I drove back home from Charlottesville and missed every single sporting event, basically. Like, I missed the Cubs winning and getting into the World Series and Penn State just upsetting Ohio State. I'm upset. Let's not talk about this anymore. (laughs) See, this is what we get for bringing up American football. Have to dive into the sports. We can blame it on them. Sorry, (sighs) listeners who don't care about sports. (laughs) Unless it's the Modern Baseball album, because that's... Wait. Yeah, there was a sports Modern Baseball album. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. The first album. Oh, my God. I'm going <laughs> to... It's it's a Monday. It's clearly, clearly a Monday. 
And on that note, we are going to move on to our book club discussion. And hopefully, you know, the words will come a little better for this. And that was, again, Mainline's Blood Feast and Bad Taste, which is a collection of Lester Bangs articles. They were, you know, released in The Village Voice, NME. Some had not been released at all before. So there are a ton of different articles you can find. And you know, this book did a good job of collecting those and putting them into very specific sections. And Megan, I think we both had the same version for this as far as, you know, you getting a library book and me having a copy that I bought. Mm -hmm. So it's about 430 pages of And it came out in 2003. Yeah. Uh, You have 430 pages in yours? I think so. Because I have 400 and... Hey, 409. Okay, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe Goodreads lied to me and said the book was 430 pages and it really was not. That happens sometimes because there there will be just a slightly different book. Maybe it was counting the introduction and acknowledgments. I don't know. Probably. the The copy I have is 409 pages and that's even getting into the permissions. So yeah. But essentially, it's a lot of Lester Bangs in one book. And this isn't the only collection that he has either. He has another one with another strange name. It's covered up on my bookshelf right now, so I can't read it to you guys. But- yeah. Oh, I can actually read it for you. It is Psychotic Reaction and Carburetor Dung. Yes. And that one's edited by Greil Marcus. Right. And, you know, this one... There was definitely a huge chunk that focused solely on music. You know, that second section was just a lot of his music reviews and everything. And, you know, just reading that first little section as well, you could tell he had a much different writing style than a lot of current music writers. Even, you know, some of the bigger names over at Spin and what have you. It's Mm -hmm. just, you know... it. In the 60s, 70s, early 80s, when Lester Bangs was writing, it was a whole different world in a lot of different ways, you know? So he could use certain terms that we definitely would not use today and that sort of thing. So what did you think about the contrast between his writing from that time period and kind of music writing today? His writing, I would say, is a lot more crude. And a lot more in your face than a lot of writing today, which tends to be sugarcoated or filled with nostalgia or whatever. Um, It's interesting to note that a lot of the articles that were pieced together in this collection are from the late 60s up through the mid 70s, I want to say. I think it actually goes in a chronological order. So let me just go straight to the end and see what the last year is. Uh, Late 70s, so through the 79s. um, Some of these articles were published posthumously, like Bye Bye Sydney, Be Good, which was written in 79, but was published in Throat Culture Number 2 in November of 1990. So this is a book filled with articles that are well before both of our times. Right. And it does get into more of the gritty side of rock and roll. Like, I want to say it kind of... I could draw some parallels between this book and the Klosterman book that we read. A little. Because it kind of had that same tone. 
And I mean, God, rock and roll was so, so different in the 60s and 70s than what it is today. I mean, I, I was able to pick up some almost famous vibes out of this book, too. So after reading this, you know, that movie made a little more sense. Right. Yeah. And, you know, for me, someone who's a huge, you know, Clash and Ramones fan, it was really cool to get to experience writing from this time period because, you know, trying to pick up issues of the village voice from the 70s is just something that, you know, would probably be very time consuming and very expensive if I wanted to do that. And, you know, this is obviously before well before the internet was a thing so trying to even find most of these kinds of articles is just something that would be quite the task to complete and you know i think this book and his other collection it's kind of a archive of his work even though you know you have two editors selecting specific things there's still so much that each of these two editors have selected that you get a very, very good picture of what Lester Bangs was like. And Wait, there's two editors in style. this? No, no, I just mean between the two collections. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I was like, this one's only edited by one guy. <laughs> right. But then, like you mentioned, Grail Marcus does Psychotic Reactions and Carburetor right, Dumb. Right. So between those two, I don't know. I haven't checked if there's any overlap, if, you know, some stories are in both. But I think it's safe to say just between those two books, you'll get a pretty good picture of what Lester Banks spent his sadly short-lived life Mm -hmm. writing about because I believe he was in his early 30s or mid-30s when he passed. Oh, going back to the overlap thing, I just flipped back to the introduction and it says here, uh, let's see who wrote this intro. John Morthland is the editor of this edition and wrote the intro and he said uh let's see yet here i have been these last few months reading him very critically making judgments right and left while agonizing to determine what i considered most worthy of inclusion in this book that hadn't already appeared in psychotic reactions and carburetor dung so it looks like both books have different articles in them right so it was he talked about how he tried to pick the best written pieces that he felt reflected the range of Lester's themes, so his passions, and he tried to group and order them in a way that created a feel rather than a timeline, which in the book edited by Grill Marcus, it was more of a timeline um, than a feel. Right. And there's also a book called Let It Blurt, The Life and Times of Lester Bangs, America's Greatest Rock Critic. And, you know, that obviously seems more like a biography on him. It might not necessarily be a collection of his writings, but there's clearly a lot of material on this guy. And you can tell right away from, you know, that introduction how much of a scene he sort of made with his writing. And, you know, I had heard heard about him through one of my professors at Drexel, he had printed out, you know, some articles of his for us to read just to kind of show us this very, I don't want to say exaggerated style of writing, but it was just so different from, you know, anything we would be reading now. 
And, you know, I think mentioning Chuck Klosterman, that's a great comparison there because he's a little, I guess you could say off the beaten path compared to most critics and everything. He has, you know, his own little way of doing things, but you can even still tell between, you know, that Chuck Klosterman book we read and this book that Chuck Klosterman is still, you know, probably much more heavily edited than I think Lester Bangs was because, you know, Mm -hmm. now it's like we spell out words properly for the most part, you know, and in here I noticed a lot he would like combine words together like when people say I want to do something instead of I want to and that sort of thing. So it was, you know, it seemed like a much more casual thing from Lester Bangs. I just flipped to admit it you like to kick cripples too especially if you are one i don't think we would actually see a music piece title that today because everybody has to be so pc and everything but in this and this particular article was written for gig in november of 1977 when you said he has this casual way of writing one of the sentences is well i don't want to put your collarbone out of joint crying on your shoulder But I will say that one night I fell asleep quite drunk listening to Nico's The Marble Index through headphones, and when I woke up seven or so hours later, not only was it still playing, but I was all wound up bondage style in the headphone cords. I really don't think you'd see something with that grammar or that description in anything today, not even in, like, Pitchfork. No, and, you know, like I mentioned, Spin and Pitchfork, wow, Pitchfork, (laughs) and spin probably have some of the biggest music writers and i you can even you know say mtv probably too because i know mtv has done a pretty good job at expanding their reach just beyond Mm -hmm. their tv channels and everything and they have a pretty good you know collection of writers going on mtv's website now although if you read the mtv news twitter sometimes you'd be like this is a legitimate Twitter source? Because <laughs> I think last week they were celebrating something with lizards. As a side note, I just love whoever runs the MTV News Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I don't follow it. So I am out of touch with that one. <laughs> yeah, you might want to follow it just because it's very entertaining and not at all chock full of news. <laughs> yeah, so those are kind of the big online publications now that people are going to and following for sort of the same kind of criticism you were seeing back in these big print publications like enemy the village voice and what have you back then and you know lester bangs was based out of new york i believe for a lot of his time that he was writing and it's interesting to me how much of the uk scene he covered in that time frame and you know i think With that, he was able to cover a lot of that scene at the time where the UK bands were coming over to New York and, you know, CBGB was huge at the time and everything. So he really had that rock and punk scene down to a science almost. And he just Mm -hmm. knew the right way to cover it because I think his gritty writing style really matches the music that he was covering. And this is also why... One of my favorite articles in this book was Everybody's Search for Roots, The Roots of Punk Part One. It's so gritty. It's so wonderful. I 
I don't know. It sounds like something I would actually say to some of my friends. Complete with all sorts of swearing and whatnot. Because I have such a great mouth. (laughs) But it is. Like, he does get into the gritty. Like, um, oh my god. Going into the roots of punk. I loved this so much. Punk is stupid, proud consumerism. Punk is blurred out of your mind watching Lancelot Link at 12 noon on Saturday and having no idea what you're seeing. And of course, there is a little footnote in here about Lancelot Link. Uh, Beloved Saturday morning kitty show heroes where Lancelot Link was a super chimp. Uh, Going back to the actual text here, Punk is vomiting all over your motherfuckers. John Sinclair, liner notes version of Kick Out the Jams and not particularly caring. It's kind of... It's a little... I want to say reading this is kind of like standing in a dirty, grungy bar. Yeah, and was that the one where it had, you know, punk is, punk is, punk is for the beginning of almost every sentence? Uh, Yes, actually. Okay. (laughs) Like... (laughs) That was interesting to read. I was like, wow, I'm reading the word punk so many times. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, also, this repetition, I think, is very interesting where he gets... Oh, geez, this is very gritty. Um, This might be a slightly NSFW episode with the amount of swearing I'm about to do. Um, Punk is being a girl and fucking your husband or boyfriend while watching TV over his shoulder as he gets his gun. Punk is not punk because it has become too codified. Punk is sitting in a half-dark room alone, wishing you had Valiums with an indifferent record playing, wanting to claw the stuffing out of the chair, but feeling futility in your fingernails. It's... Wow, this is very gritty. I love it. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes back to some of the things we would not see in music writing today or from music critics today. Like such an open, also an open discussion of just taking a bunch of drugs to sleep or not sleep. Like punk is running out of beer at 5.30 a.m. and taking three core trimatons to see if they'll exasperate what is left of it. Yeah, and I think back then because you know, in the 60s and 70s, a lot of people didn't know the consequences of mm-hmm. all of these drugs and everything. And it's very similar with, you know, when the NBA was first starting and that sort of thing. A lot of these players were taking drugs and it's just because it was what they did. They didn't realize it would be detrimental to their health down the line or anything like that. And, you know, we see some of these older rock stars now, probably namely the Rolling Stones. And, you know, and it's Ozzy like they're, they're scary looking. And, and chances Ozzy. are, yeah, that is why. And, you know, everything was just so much more openly talked about then because there weren't all of these, you know, warnings and precautions and no one knew what this would actually do to a person. But, why don't we quickly just go over the rest of our favorite articles? I only picked out two because I felt like if I tried to pick out any more, I would just be picking half of the book because I really enjoyed reading yeah. this. But it, it was a good book. Yeah. For me, I really enjoyed his review of Patti Smith's Horses. I just thought, you know, it's an album I've probably only listened to a handful of times, if that. And I just felt like the way he wrote about her was so interesting and you know when we have male music critics writing about females now it's like a whole different ball game so it was just interesting to see how back then these punk women were written about and the other one was 
bye-bye Sydney be good which you mentioned earlier and it was about the death of Sid Vicious from the Sex Pistols and it was just it was a lot longer than I thought it would be considering it's you know if you want to call it a eulogy or what have you but it was really good and sort of really insightful into Sid Vicious's life in such a short you know thing in comparison to his actual life and everything that happened but what were your other ones well i'm gonna make a little brief aside here we were just talking about the drugs right and lester bangs died of a darvon overdose yeah so it goes into that whole culture of we never knew what was going to happen of course i just googled what darvon was because i've never heard of it in my life right and it is a drug that was withdrawn from the U.S. market in November of 2010, and it's part of a group of drugs in the narcotic pain reliever category. So it's safe to say that he basically died of, like, a narcotic overdose. Right. Which, as we all know, is becoming a growing problem in this country with drugs like heroin or the opioid crisis. But back then, it wasn't seen as anything big because it was just... I guess something people did just for the high because heroin seemed too scary or something. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. And I think it's safe to note that also back then, these music critics had to kind of live similar lifestyles Mm -hmm. to the musicians they were following because, you know, like you and I now, we can do interviews over the internet. You know, we're recording this podcast over the internet via Skype. So, you know, we don't have to be as personally connected to musicians to necessarily write about them and i think you know there's some good and bad that comes with that maybe that can be a topic for a different podcast but Mm -hmm. you know go ahead and continue on with your favorite articles from this yes so i've already talked about how much i love everybody's search for roots uh which is it's a surprising pick for someone like me because you wouldn't think that i would love this sort of aspect of punk music but Oh, the nitty-gritty stuff I love. The feeling of reading an article that makes me feel like I'm sitting in a gross dive bar. Wonderful. Which, yeah, not many people would actually believe that from me. Because um, <laughs> I'm generally, like, not grungy looking or anything. Anyway, I also liked Bad Taste is Timeless. Which, you know what? That is an article that I could see titled today. It's true. Because we still talk this has nothing to do with actual like this article right now but we all have our quote guilty pleasure songs or musicians that we listen to so of course bad taste is going to be timeless some of us just don't outgrow our bad tastes and i embrace it but bad taste is timeless starts out with some excerpts from the diary of a crank and i kind of felt like i related to this article a little bit because lester said, I wrote in another publication, what I did in 1981 was what almost everybody else did. Listen to old music when I listened at all. So when I got a letter from one kid for berating me for listing Beck, Bogart, and Apice as a listening preference over, say, X or Joy Division, how can you be so nostalgic? Don't you know there are all kinds of great new groups like The Fall, The Fad Gadget, The Dickies, Clock DVA, and Orange Juice? And then this sentence, which just made me crack up another reader writes why don't you just break out your hookah and your blind faith albums and hang it up you old fool i found myself relating to this because i'm getting to that age where i am hitting a lot of points of nostalgia and we've talked about this before on the podcast just revisiting albums from like 10 years ago and 
sort of being a little iffy about newer stuff, the joys of getting old and becoming an old crank, or as I like to say, a curmudgeon. But it's it's interesting that he also lists that listening to music recorded 20, 30 years ago is not living in the past, it's not nostalgia. According to my dictionary, nostalgia is homesickness, a longing for something far away or long ago or for former happy circumstances. And when he wrote this article, of course, 20, 30 years ago was the 60s or the 50s, and those were interesting times, not like they are today, where pop music was sugar-coated and highly sexual and no one really got it until they grew up, or rock music was gritty and grungy to the point where you still might not know what some of the artists are saying. Um, But it just shows that being old and a curmudgeon and everything, it's okay. It's okay to do that. It's okay to embrace your bad taste and say, I'm not ready to grow out of this. And this was actually published in the July-August issue of Music and Sound Output in 1982. So this was a few months before his death, too. Right. I believe, yeah. So it's interesting to see just what comes in here and what what have you. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing that really stood out for me, mostly because I believe it was the longest section in this book, it was the, in the travelogue section, Innocence in Babylon, a search for Jamaica featuring Bob Marley and a cast of thousands. I feel like, I cor- correct me if I'm wrong, because I think you have the book in front of you and I definitely do not. Mm-hmm. It was like 30 to 40 pages all on Bob Marley and it that one just sort of didn't really seem to fit quite right with the book because I remember sitting there reading it and I was like why is this one thing you know four times as long as at least as every other article in this book and I think that one inclusion kind of took me out of the book a little bit because you know you had patty smith sid vicious and a lot of these rock and punk icons that he was addressing and talking about and then you kind of just get this whole thing about bob marley and jamaica and it's a good chunk of the book because if you think about it you know about 400 pages and then you have one thing that takes up 10 percent of that it's just it totally threw me off i don't know if you felt the same way or not and i'm not saying it was bad it just felt like an odd inclusion it was an yeah i mean all of my favorite articles in this came from the raving raging and rebop section and i'm you will hear me flipping through this book during this podcast like there's no getting around the fact that this is why i prefer the physical book because you can just easily flip through and i'm very adhd so having something to hold while recording this is very good But looking at this, it it is in the travelogue section. And yeah, Innocence in Babylon, A Search for Jamaica, starts on page 259. And then on page 300 is Death May Be Your Santa Claus, an exclusive up-to-date interview with Jimi Hendrix. Right. I think that that's an interesting transition, especially since the travelogue section starts with Killer Frogs and Transatlantic Blitz, a Franco-American chronologue starring less variations. So to go from that to Bob Marley to Jimi Hendrix, that's very interesting. Yeah, the travelogues was definitely the most interesting section as far as, you know, what 
he chose to include from Lester Bangs in this section. And I was like, I wouldn't say I could have done without that whole section, but definitely that Jamaica piece and Bob Marley piece threw me it's off. And I was like, very, very long. Oh, okay. 40 pages of this. I was not expecting this, and you know? <laughs> what's interesting is that particular article was published in the June-July 1976 issue of Cream. So back before the days of Rolling Stone or Spin the Magazine or... I don't even know if Spin's still a magazine. I think it was at some point. Anyway, before you had these major magazines, even like Substream or Alt Press, Cream was the forefront rock and roll magazine. Right. And a lot of his writing was featured in Cream. So to... I don't know how long this interview or this article actually was in the magazine, but to have something that's almost like 50 pages, that seems almost unheard of for any mainstream music publication today. So that also shows how powerful Bob Marley was, too, back in the day. Like He had that huge influence. Yeah, and I think it's safe to say Lester Bangs, because of his, you know, popularity as a music writer, probably had a little more leeway with what he could publish compared to, mm-hmm. you know, what music writers today would be able to get away with as far as length and everything goes. Because if that took up, you know, 40 or so pages in the book we read, imagine how many words it would have looked like on, you know, a 10 page spread in a magazine or something. And, It's just crazy to me that he did write something that long for a print publication. Right. I mean, I don't even think a Rolling Stone article would be that long today. As controversial as Rolling Stone has become, especially in this area, since the Charlottesville trial is currently ongoing, it's just interesting. And speaking of things happening in today's day and age and society and whatnot my other favorite article from this is taken from all my friends are hermits and this one was originally published in it's a decently long article oh this one was actually previously unpublished in 1980 right so it's a hidden gem that's pretty cool it's interesting that this one could kind of go hand in hand with the political atmosphere of today, where uh, this is when Reagan and Carter were running against each other, I believe. But it talks about polls, even though everybody knew the polls were brought to one or the other of the large political parties. We all know Trump's fascination with the polls right now. Oh, I'm winning in all the polls. I'm up in all of them. Never forget that great CNN mm-hmm. moment where the anchor just said, but he's not. Like, we right. have the results. And um, it's interesting that it kind of pokes fun of this political atmosphere, but it could draw parallels to what it is today. I don't know. It's tough to talk about politics in such a volatile scene right now. Um which is why I wonder if he were still around what he could find to write about today. Like reading this made me kind of think, hey, what would his writing be like today? Which I think is a very valid question. So I think that that article is just one that you should read. 
it, it goes back and brings up the question of what if we still had writers like this today that weren't afraid to get into the nitty gritty and kind of poke fun of a volatile political climate, you know, even though politics and music don't seem like they'd go hand in hand with each other, but they kind of do. Yeah, and I think it would even be interesting to see how he is or he would have covered these bands that are still around, you know, like the Rolling Stones and even, you know, what Joe Strummer did after the clash and everything. I don't think, you know, he really got to cover that part of Joe Strummer's career because he passed in the early 80s. And, you know, the clash, I believe, still released their last album or two in the early to mid 80s. And it would just be interesting to have his perspective, especially on how much the music industry has changed, you know, since he was writing about it. And oh, my gosh, what would he have to say about the state of pop music today? If he even listened to pop music. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there would be a point where he'd have to be like, why is this a thing? Like, what's going on? Because there have been overlaps between the rock and the pop world. Right. I mean, look at Green Day. It would be interesting to see his thoughts on bands like Green Day. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of these punk bands from, say, the early 90s have had, you know, some mainstream success, not just Green Day, but Blink-182, you know, Yellow Card Mm -hmm. is finishing out, you know, they're not a punk band per se, but, you know, pop punk and everything. I wonder what he would say about how, you know, these genres have been tweaked to bring about these new genres and these new bands that we have so many of lately. But basically what I have to say about this is definitely check out this book. I have not read Psychotic Reactions and Carburetor done yet. It's still sitting on my shelf. It actually took me over two years to get to this book. I bought it in either June or July of 2014. So it's been sitting on my shelf for a while now. And this was the perfect excuse to finally get to it and read it. And we probably should not talk about all of the books I still have on my shelves to read. But I definitely recommend anyone who is interested either in reading music criticism or who is a writer, definitely, definitely check out Lester Bangs and both of these books because oh definitely it's just great insight on looking at how even just music criticism has changed over all of these years Mm -hmm. and i mentioned almost famous earlier it is important to note that the late great philip seymour hoffman portrayed lester bangs in that film right so it's after watching it after reading this book it kind of gives a little more insight into his character too so it's like that aside right there you should go watch almost famous after reading all these too because that does show the difference of how music writing was in the 70s compared to what it is today right well i think that wraps up our book discussion for this week do you have any final words you want to say about the book megan i think i'm good on my end awesome so why don't you give me your two recommendations for the week well shouldn't we announce our next book Yes, we should do that. (laughs) You picked it. You go for it. Yeah. So we're actually going to be reading a Rob Sheffield book. And it's not going to be Love is a Mixtape, of which I have to find my copy. 
it might be in a box somewhere in my house. <laughs> uh, but this one's going to be talking to girls about Duran Duran. I believe it is the second autobiographical book of his uh, in the series that I know he's written because there's Love is a Mixtape, Talking to Girls about Duran Duran, um, Turn Around Bright Eyes, which features a lot about karaoke. And James, if you're listening, I want my copy of that book back <laughs> sometime. If I have to drive up to Northern Virginia, I will. Um, but there's those. And he just wrote a book about David Bowie. But we're going to stick with Talking to Girls about Duran Duran. It's the one Rob Sheffield book that I actually haven't read yet. Surprise, surprise. And I'm waiting for my library to get the Bowie book. So it it should be interesting. It's a shorter book. It's not going to be as long or lengthy as what we've been reading. And Rob Sheffield's just an entertaining writer. Yes, and I've already read the book, so you guys don't have to worry about me holding us back and pushing the book episodes anymore. (laughs) So which reminds me, I have to go actually pick that book up from the library. So yeah, anyway... Going back to recommendations, now that we have snuck in our November pick, I talked about Kevin Devine's Instigator and how that's one of my recommendations. As we were talking about the political sphere, uh, I actually thought of another recommendation because I'm going to continue on this whole path of music recommendations before I completely crash and burn. Um, There is a project called 30 Days, 30 Songs right now. And essentially, artists such as R.E.M., Moby, Death Cab for Cutie, Jim James with My Morning Jacket, Franz Ferdinand, etc., so many that haven't even been announced, they've come together to record songs that essentially are anti-Trump. And in we're technically part of the Modern Vinyl family. This isn't me making any sort of endorsement, because Lord knows I would be endorsing Kang and Kodos from The Simpsons if that were the case. But it's an interesting take. We're not trying to get political here. I know some of the Twitter readers have been like, why are you getting political? What's going on? Um, But these songs, uh, like Death Cab's Million Dollar Loan, it kind of gives an interesting story as to why Trump would be terrible for the country or Franz Ferdinand's demagogue. My God, they definitely recorded that song recently because it kind of talks about that little controversy with the Access Hollywood bus with that phrase that I'm not even going to repeat on this podcast because I even find it horrible and awful and whatnot. So the 30, yeah, the 30 Days 30 Songs Project. Oh, and Elvi has a song on there with a video game, which is really cool and really weird. But it's worth checking out. I think it's on day 14 or 15 now. And the songs, some of them are also unreleased live versions of songs that deal with today's political climate, which I believe is a Josh Ritter song and an R.E.M. song. But it's great. You should listen to them, get entertained, etc., etc., and now in the crashing and burning portion of my recommendation, completely killing everything musical, I'm recommending a movie. And not just because Ben Affleck is in it looking extremely fine in glasses. Um, the Accountant is a thriller and it's good and not typically a movie I generally would go for, but I saw it this weekend and I enjoyed it thoroughly. And not just because of Ben Affleck in glasses looking quite nice in that movie. Um, Anna Kendrick is also in it. J.K. Simmons. It's despite hearing J.K. Simmons and Anna Kendrick's names, you'd think, oh, maybe it's kind of like a comedy. 
there are some comedic bits in it, but not fully. It's definitely more of a serious overtone. So if you haven't seen it, go see it. Because I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> yeah, that definitely looks like a good movie to go check out. Mm-hmm. And I know I texted you about it. Yes. I keep seeing the commercials and I'm like, okay, I need to go see this. I need to go see this. And now I just need to find time to see it. So that should happen hopefully at some point soon. (laughs) (laughs) And I am also not recommending music this week. I know you at least had one thing, but I am recommending Showboat, The Life of Kobe Bryant by Roland Lazenby, which is a nearly 600 page auto not autobiography a six nearly 600 page biography on Kobe Bryant it starts with you know his dad being an NBA player him living in Italy and then it goes all the way through you know up through last year I believe since the book is just now coming out this week I'm sure you know it's been in the editing process considering it's such a long book for quite a while now but it's been it's not bad. Yeah, it's been a great read and I know not everyone here cares about sports, but I know some of my music friends there are basketball fans and even if you aren't, you know, the biggest Kobe Bryant fan, if you respect him as a player and what have you, this is definitely a good book to check out because it just gives you so much insight into his life that we didn't necessar- necessarily see from the public perspective of his, of his and you know a lot of his family stuff was never really talked about in public and this book kind of does a really good job on going into why and how he doesn't talk to his parents much and what have you and you know while it's not news it's like at least for me I never really knew the reasons why a lot of this stuff happened but you know this book makes it very clear why this stuff happened so if you're interested check that out if not I won't be offended just don't tell me (laughs) (laughs) and see look at us we're tying everything together we talk about sports at the beginning of the podcast and throw it back into the end we're on a roll yes But that wraps up our episode for this week. And as always, thank you guys for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.